on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikhail Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown podcast. This week we are without Callum Goodall, you may see, struck down by COVID. Spoken to the Premier League and they've judged that we can still fulfil our regular fixture as long as we dip into the under-15s to fill the squad, which is where... Young Jack Elderton even here comes from. Good evening, Jack. Disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. I'd just like to note that on record for everyone. That's a, that's a shocking intro. I told you I was going to make the joke. You didn't know how bad it was going to be, though. Um, this <laughs> week, we will be looking at the Leeds game from yesterday. Crystal Palace, what seems like a lifetime ago now, but only a week or so before. A little bit of transfer talk, as well as uh, Jack's desperate to make sure we were watching the AFCON as well. Uh, before we do start in full, I'd like to point listeners towards the fantastic set of articles that, uh, well, what would be these two are producing at the moment. You'll find a new player analysed every single day of the transfer window, which means you've got 10 days to catch up on already if you're behind and you've missed them. Um, if you haven't seen them already, find them on the Knees Up Mother Brown homepage or through the Twitter account for Knees Up Mother Brown or even either of these two lads. Again, I'm going to keep saying either of these two lads, uh, which is Callum, which is WHU underscore analytics or Jack, which is at Jack Elderson. Uh, any players in particular you're looking forward to, Jack, in those? Um, well, we had quite a lot of fun today with uh, Braylon Bolo uh, from Borussia Mönchengladbach, someone who's been linked for as long as I've been alive, probably if I've been in the under-15s. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, just a, just, a, just a fun player and someone who, who we've long looked at as someone who's a stylistically good fit as a replacement for Antonio in the future. Um, not necessarily quite there in terms of form, not necessarily always been there in terms of fitness. Uh, but if you're looking for someone who... Um, stylistically is very, very similar to, to Mikel Antonio and would be able to fulfil a number of roles across the front four. Um, and also, you know, is at a level now as a 24-year-old that's uh, acceptable for, for a rotation option and has this, has a lot of room to blossom into someone who could be a, a real physical presence in the Premier League um, at the point at which Antonio is no longer viable as a first option. Um, then he seems like a a great pick obviously the major problem is the finances of of any of any possible deal and it depends a lot on on who much and gladback want to get rid of out of alisson play uh turam and uh mbolo we're pretty sure one of them will leave at some point um just not sure not quite sure who that will be yet just feel like we've been linked to all three of those as well. So it's probably yes, I mean, yeah, we it's, have, every, yeah. every other day is one of them that seems to be the new. You know, and, and Bolo's a player I like quite a lot. I guess his fitness concerns are one other thing that always pops up as well, I guess. Um, shout outs all around. Thank you for those who've been listening and getting in touch, especially to SH, who sent himself, who sent in a lovely photo of himself to the forum, decked out in a full Spurs kit, though. Bit odd. Uh, Joffrey. I know. Joffrey, who's been indoctrinated by the podcast, uh, he now watches every hop and skip of Fabianski's feet on every save. So I'm, I'm really sorry. Happy. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm really happy that Jack's ruined football for someone else. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's what he's done. Uh, Diogenes, who thinks the two lads who usually have are better than any TV pundits. And I'd imagine, Ooh. of course, without without him actually getting in touch but I imagine of course to West Ham's biggest fan uh, Flamengo striker Gabriel Barbosa and we all know <laughs> within the chicken run the chicken run we all in the chicken run we all know is Gabriel obviously but uh, it must be a listener as he's West Ham's biggest fan at least according to Sky Sports and his agent anyway um, if you'd like to get in touch especially you Gabriel um, all correspondence can be sent to any of the following the email address which is podcast at kumb.com there's the forum thread at kumb.com and you can tweet us or the boss at twitter kumb.com all words no punctuation so through to the fourth round jack it's a, a trip to kidderminster for us after a comfortable comfortable victory over leeds you'd say it's a great fourth round drawer, isn't it? I'm just excited about it. Just, just, just because it's pure FA Cup energy, and uh, it's been, it's been, it's been too long that we've been playing these cup games against your Man Cities, your Man Uniteds, um, and it's great to have a proper cup tie um, back. And I, I really hope um, that that we field a, a decent team. Um, 
but yeah, it does offer offer an opportunity for us to to rotate as well a little bit um, because with the amount of games we've had, um, you, you'd imagine that we'll be pretty pleased to have that that chance. Um, but yeah, the third round match, I almost look at Kidderminster. This, uh, I'm sorry if any Leeds fans are listening, but I almost look at Kidderminster as a harder fixture than playing Leeds at the moment because. <laughs> Leeds, wow, were we wow! Um, impressively terrible um, again. Yeah, not, not not the team that they certainly were vaunted as last year. I mean, to their credit, uh, it's it's been a, a, they've got a, a lot of injuries and yeah, yeah. Bielsa will not buy for the sake of buying as well. He's he's a he's certainly stubborn, I guess. In those circles, he wants players of a certain type. He will go to his youth squad. They've had COVID. They've had major injuries. I think Bamford got back and injured himself celebrating on his yep. return as well. Um, you know, so sometimes when it's going wrong for you, it's really going wrong for you. But yeah, you feel almost as well that because the injuries have been so continuous, they've never really been able to get any rhythm. It's not It's not like, um, you know, they've suddenly been hit by a raft of injuries all at once. It's been all season. Um, so the disruption throughout really, you know, difficult for them to establish even a first 11 um, throughout the whole yeah. season so far. I'm sure that we'll have many fans uh, excited the trip to Kidderminster. I think last time was 94, fifth round, 1-0 win thanks to Lee Chapman. I'm coming on that. As you know, I'm in the under-15, so... Yeah, uh, you... you, Barely barely alive, of course, you would have been knowing it. I mean, I I would have been five. The only reason I can remember that off the top of my head is because I looked before we recorded. I'm not going to pretend that I've got that kind of knowledge. At five years old, wouldn't have known at all. Um, Yesterday... I suppose we've we've touched on Leeds being bad, so we could we could start there. Really, we were good, but Leeds were awful. Yeah, you you want to praise us uh, because it was a was a comfortable win in the end. I think we we managed to make it look actually more a lot more difficult than than in reality it was. Um, and the fact that Leeds had the opportunities they had in the last um, ten minutes or so to to get back into the game, uh, I think reflects really really poorly on us, given how bad they were, particularly in the first hour of, of the match. Um, but yeah, Leeds. I mean, um, I, I did a tweet on this the other day, and just it's it's incredible to me that they've managed to to pull together a group of players that you almost look at as more of a be more suited to being a running club than a football club. Um, I'm not sure there's a single player in there who's any good at passing the ball. Uh, they run around a lot. Um, and you have to credit them for the the intensity of the press and, and the way that they force you to speed the game up. Uh, but when they get it, they're awful. Um, really, really terrible lack of quality in possession. No, they've got what they've got one player at the moment really could play Rafinha, and he was on the bench as well. And then he didn't look at all interested when he came no, on. He looked like a man terrible who, when he came on. It looks looked like a man who was thinking, "I'm." I'm not staying here, whatever happens. So it's the first time I've seen him come on for Leeds and, or play for Leeds at all, and just look like he's had enough. And I, and I, 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 I'm not really surprised because given how devoid of ideas they were before that, and the lack of quality around him, um, it, it, it does look a little bit concerning. I think uh, for Leeds at the moment, you start to wonder, particularly with the with the injuries and the fact that some of them are, are quite long term, where. You know where this is going to turn around from. I, I said earlier in the season, it's it's it concerns me if Adam Forshaw can be your best player in the Premier League four weeks on the bounce. Um, you know, so at, at any point where you're in a situation where and Adam Forshaw is a great player, but um, he's not. He shouldn't be uh, for 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 where Leeds want to be in the league. He shouldn't be your best performing player for that length of time. Um, so it, it is it it is sort of shockingly bad at the moment. Good news for us, obviously, because we play them again yeah. in, a week, in a week's time again at, at the London Stage. We've got them at home again soon. So and I'm not sure if Bamford's back in time for that or not. I presume Rafinha starts, but yep. you look some at changes that, for sure. You look I mean, at that, I think we should be we should be winning. There's a possible uh, no, it's not the possibility quite that Zoom will be back for that one. It's possibly later in the month, isn't I think it? It'll be later than that, yeah. But it should have a, a certain level of confidence. Um I suppose if we talk about us then we move away from what Leeds were doing one player I noticed I thought had a good game certainly in spells anyway maybe not consistency was Nikola Vlasic who when he was moving into the centre and when he's in the centre of the, the opposite the opponent's half he suddenly came alive other than I will 
slightly be uh, disappointed, let's say, uh, in the in the dive where he chopped and just flopped. Um, but he, I mean, he said it was it was two times in a row he chopped very successfully and turned his man. Yeah. And he he did he he suddenly sparked a life when he got that chance, kind of 40, 30 yards center of the Leeds half. Yeah, yeah. Um, it start. It seems to be starting to come together for him, which is which is great timing uh, with Ben Rama um, away at Afcon, and um, and I've seen a lot of people commenting as well, which I think is a is a relatively fair thing to say is that we've had a lot of players that have come in under Moyes um, and that have taken, or just players over the last few seasons that have taken some time to adapt. Fornells was one. Um, Ben Rama, another in in that area of the pitch that didn't necessarily come together for them when they first arrived, but then sort of second season and on, it's, it's it, there's been some improvement, um, and that Flasic is sort of somewhat ahead of that curve um, to to where those two players were. Um, I think that's sort of fair, but then you do look at players like Bowen and Suchek who landed and you know were able to to impact straight away. So it's not entirely an ac- accurate reflection of of how signings have worked at West Ham in in, in recent times. Similar with Lingard, huge impact straight away. But um, but it's pleasing for sure to, to to see his influence on games growing, um, his ability to impact games um, across longer periods is definitely growing. I think we saw. Um, even when he first played against Southampton, that there were glimmers of, 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 of really uh, positive moments in that game. Um, but it, 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 it was only moments. He was really struggling to string together. And, and in all of his appearances after that, really up until the last few games, he was really struggling to string together even five or six yeah. minutes where he would really have a positive influence on a, on a game. Um, and I think we're starting to see that now. Um, which is really exciting for him and for us. Um, but what you what what you commented on is is really apt, and that's when he's in the centre, he seems to be so much more comfortable uh, than when he's out wide. That the difference of of receiving with his back to goal and being able to use his body, which he does so well to protect the ball from from midfielders and, and opposition defenders, and then spin and, and get running at, um, at the opposition to receiving wide and, and being faced up by a defender. Um, just just seems to be a completely different player when he's in those areas and um hopefully the coaching staff are, are learning from that and, and starting to be able to see that that's where he needs to be really to to thrive for us and also really importantly in terms of his um tracking back as well he's much more comfortable defending from that central yeah. position than he is when he's placed out wide i certainly think if you look at the, the first goal and there's a lot to talk about there arguably with the controversy around it um yeah. i mean i i'm, I'm one who, who really thought he, he he could have been our sub striker in things like europe and you look at the way he rolls his man for that goal that's not something i would think lanzini for now as ben or even bowen probably could do it's a skill he's obviously somehow yeah. he's learned one way or another and that's it's kind of almost classic center forward play in a way yeah. you use your back your back in and he's spun his man to do it i mean that was that was opened up the game in really what could have been a rather flat situation which came from a lot of really good Antonio work as well yeah um but that's something you get in the center which you, you're not going to get the opportunity to do out wide that just doesn't well, he, yeah he's just never going to be in situations where he can show those skills in, in in wide areas and you're absolutely right I think out of the the, the number 10s we've got and, and the wingers we've got um in terms of someone who's got a profile to play in that sort of force nine or second striker position um Vlasic is definitely um, that guy and, and I said it much earlier in the season that you know if we were looking at someone who had the profile to replace Lingard's influence in terms of final third impact uh, creating goals and scoring goals perhaps not impacting games across 90 minutes in the same way that a Lanzini can or a Fornells can uh, perhaps not showing that level of control um, but being able to impact with goals and assists then Vlasic was that guy and um, yeah I think I think hopefully we can start to see some of that across the next month. But you know, saying that there's someone else who's performing remarkably well in that position right now, yes, so his opportunities it, it, might be a little bit limited. It, it, it's a problem for him. I mean, for, for arguably for four now is coming back in. It's a good it's a good problem in the squad. Lanzini is having a really good time. He's added added goals lately, which is the thing that everyone would say is what he doesn't have and why you maybe wouldn't pick him because he doesn't score. He's reacted really well to that to that in the on the first goal but on that first goal I, the only justification so far i've seen that makes sense to how you wouldn't call it offside is if the block by the defender is considered deliberate enough action or when it's scuffed post defender he the defender flicks it towards goal and that negates bowen being offside i know you're you're quite good on the laws generally with these things 
I, I think this is really simple. Law 11 stipulates pretty uncompromisingly that that's that's that this should be offside. I I, I cannot understand how um, it's been looked at by VAR and, and not given offside. It it pretty clearly states that um, if the player gains an advantage for his team in any way or tries to interfere with play in any way, it doesn't really matter if they touch the ball or not um, from a deflection or a save. Then uh, and and does so while being in an offside position. Um, then it should be offside. Uh, if Flasic goes to kick the ball and it doesn't move forward, and then it's bundled by the defender that way, I presume then he's not offside. I think that's the best. I I some it's only something that's been discussed on the forum generally, and I said that's basically. I think we've we've got lucky if that's the view the referee of the if the VIO official has said. Oh, um, I think that actually the defenders moved it on forward. You could. I'm guessing you could argue that interpretation but it's certainly very fortunate for us I, I don't think that's what's happened I think what's happened what's much more likely is that um, the VAR official has taken a much more sort of common sense approach in in, in which case I understand the decision but it, it, yeah. that's not how refereeing works you have to abide no. by the laws and, and well, the it actually doesn't not... affect anything no exactly the law stipulates that Bowen's offside so it should yeah. be given offside <laughs> yeah. but I think the refs viewed it several times i mean when i was watching it and watching the the, the var official replay it several times you can almost see the replaying of whether bowen touches the ball or not to sort of and that melier is fully outstretched and that it doesn't change anything in any way whatsoever um that it's a it would have been a harsh goal in that sense to rule out as offside but like i said i i none of that that is completely immaterial it's The law is the law. He's offside. It should have been offside. If I'm okay, if I'm if I'm looking okay across the game and who, who I put as a standout performer, I thought there was a few good performances all round. Bowen was dangerous in at least in patches, and he's I mean as is his game generally. He off, at the moment he seems to be if you square him up, he's going to beat you, and he's got that energy at the moment. But the man who really seemed back to his best is Antonio. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he was absolutely brilliant here. Um, he was very good against Palace um, and, and very, very good in this game. I think uh, <laughs> we discussed this briefly pre-pod, but one of the really funny things is is the similarity um, with the, the first game against Leeds where he scores the, um, the winner at the death. Uh, and in that game, he places himself on Cresswell uh, for long stretches of the game, which is... Uh, Leeds were in a similar position then and, and forced to play an under-21 defender in, in the back four. And he did the same thing here, really, in positioning himself on Hjelda. Uh And similarly with the first game, didn't get anything out of Hjelda as he didn't get anything out of Cresswell. And then uh, realises, well, OK, if I'm not getting anything under the out of the under-21 player, then maybe I'm not playing particularly badly. Maybe they're just doing very well. So if I go and play against Diego Llorente, <laughs> Spanish international, maybe I'll get a little bit more. And then he just rinsed. <laughs> he destroyed the ball. And I, I think I tweeted the game. During, kind of, at what point is he, as a defender, thought I best get touched tight to this very muscular and strong <laughs> player? And, and thought, well, it didn't work the first time. And I, I don't seem to be able to push him down i'll just yeah, best yeah. do it again because antonio just it, it got quite funny really it was just he got really close antonio turned he'd come back at him antonio's shoulder it was he bullied him yeah totally and and that's something that we we all love to see from antonio and that we've needed to see more regularly on a, on a recent basis that kind of dominant bullying kind of display against opposition centre-backs and actually one of the major disappointments of the Leeds game was the fact that we didn't pull away in, in the first hour. I, I know a lot of people have described the game in that first half an hour as not having very much in it. We were more comfortable than I've seen us at, in any other game this season. It was so unbelievably, unfathomably easy for us to get into the final third and into positive situations. And the fact that we didn't create more from that is, uh, is the only thing that, that really came from that game that was a major, major disappointment. Was, perhaps perhaps the, actually the most damning indictment of that was Ryan Fredericks not passing the ball. I mean, that was just absolutely glorious, wasn't it? Getting away down the right and having two cutback options under no pressure. <laughs> he had two moments where you can see why people get really excited about him. And two mo- those two moments both ended with the reasons why I don't particularly like watching him play. The first one where he scuffs it with his studs on the shot through. And the second one where you can visibly see a man struggling to choose what to do. Because he had two good passes on. And for, well, I can't choose between those two, and I've taken a long time. So I'm just going to go alone. 
<laughs> it was it is the problem with you can see why he's been probably quite easy to upgrade there is there are real strengths to him and certainly I, I I found it quite funny in the first half where they'd gone. We've got Dan James quicker than nearly anyone. What should we do? Put him out on the put him out towards Ryan <laughs> Fredericks, the only man on this pitch who's going to keep up with him. Which was yeah, and one of the lead. few players uh, yeah. in sort of top flight football that would be able to keep yeah, up with them. The, the very much baffling object where Leeds just do what Leeds are going to do and not pay any attention to what everyone else has to offer. Yeah, um, I guess yeah. another thing about Tony is the the key actually other than that back to his bullying best the two things the two goals are really made by his passing yeah, his running yeah. so that first goal is a very good bit of patience the pass into flash is brilliant and obviously the second goal he you could see his head he was constantly on the swivel looking up he's passed that to bowen and that's it's a big part of how we play as if he's being able to pass the ball and keep the ball yeah his composure's massively improved um over the last couple of weeks and that's great to see that back i think previously we've even seen him sometimes being able to roll his man and get into those positive uh, situations where it passes on to, to trigger a counter-attack and, um, and often he's misplaced those passes um, over the course of the last month. And um, in some of the games uh, around three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, like the Arsenal game, we were looking at some really horrific uh, pass accuracy um, totals for Antonio at the end of games, talking in sort of 45 uh, percent times which is um, nowhere no I mean strikers are generally going to have lower passing accuracy than most players on the pitch because the passes they're having to make and, and the pressure they're under when they receive the ball is, is much higher than, than any other player but 45 percent is completely unacceptable and um, we've seen a, a, an improvement in that he's now sort of steadily above 60 percent which is still not great <laughs> but he's 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 improved on 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 that from where he was and um yeah, and it's just that it's just that second seconds pause before you do something uh, and and not rushing it. Um, and maybe I think you know maybe that just comes with goals. You score a goal and suddenly you feel a lot more comfortable, um, and you're not just trying to do everything so quickly um, that actually things are going wrong. So he just looks much more comfortable on the pitch. He looks happier. He does look fitter as well. I mean, I think if we use this as a perfect time to kind of blend to Palace as well, what he did in that Palace game for his goal was. Kind of maybe what something he wouldn't have been doing when he was scratching and searching for a goal, which was just very, very simply, yeah, just do, do, doing the simple thing. And he did that, it was perfect striker instinct, wasn't it, for that goal against Palace? Ben Rama's ball, absolutely perfect. And that really talking about the goal, you have to mention how that is what Ben Rama should be doing. And that's the archetype of what we want from Ben Rama on the left. Yep. Antonio has done the perfect job with it. I'm claiming total credit for that Ben Rama cross as well in Mourinho fashion because I, I tweeted after the game beforehand saying that Ben Rama was the worst crossing winger in uh, <laughs> the entire Premier League uh, and potentially the worst crossing winger I'd ever seen. Um, and then he go- goes and does that. So obviously, you know, uh, he reads the tweets, gets angry and then pulls out his uh, his best form. <laughs> it's a, it was a, it's a great very cross. Mourinho. You could, he, he, if you could say he's just the weakest Everyone, everyone's weak if you're if you're Mourinho, aren't they? Um, it's funny, isn't it? It's really sad that when everywhere Mourinho's gone, suddenly he's just been beset by these weak characters. I do. I, you've got to feel sorry for him because otherwise then, you might have then, to blame him. Otherwise, you the, might have to blame him. The <laughs> shocking misfortune that when he leaves, they suddenly turn into strong characters again. It, it's something's going against him. Yeah, there's might, some sort of be, universal it, force. It might be his own them. character and personality. I don't know <laughs> whether we can accept that sometimes our actions have consequences. I can't. I can't be there to judge <laughs> that. Um, if we go from Antonio, we go from Palace. You can't talk about Palace. In fact, we could. If we were talking about anything, Palace really, we could spend the whole time talking about Lanzini, who was. We just should really, best. shouldn't we? We but should really. It's a shame. Fair. It's a shame that Cal's not here because I'd love to hear all the all the nitty gritty numbers on on this and and just yeah. spend half an hour talking about Lanzini. And unfortunately, I can't quite do that for you because it would be a very boring half an hour monologue uh, about my favourite passing player that's played for West Ham I'd, in a long I'd time. I'd like really. to see how you can justify numbers and what he did with his left foot for that goal because I'm not sure. Yeah, you can yeah, call, yeah. Those are those are for the people who don't like stats. We look at those. That's un, unquantifiable. Quite it was. It was. It was magic. It was absolutely brilliant, and and he he's he's always loved 
London derbies. He's he's got another couple here, <laughs> and um, he's always loved scoring screamers. And it was it was the archetypal Lanzini performance: a screamer in a London derby in an excellent performance, where he rarely gave the ball away and and controlled the game so comfortably. So I mean that first half performance. I've said this a couple of times this season, but. Um, one of one of the one of the best individual 45, 45 minutes we've seen so far this season. I think uh, I've mentioned a few. I think Rice in the second half against uh, Burnley um, in that game. Antonio, I think it might have been the first half against uh, Leicester right at the start of the season, and um, and Lanzini here in the first half against Palace falls into that category of just sort of nine borderline ten out of ten, almost. Perfect. Um, he was just brilliant. I mean, he's always. I, I remember a video year the Piat season. He did a video about how why he doesn't lose the ball in tight situations, and mm. I think it's just the dexterity of his of very close control and being able to move his feet, and that's kind of shown in that goal because the reaction to be able to flick a ball up and instantly volley it, basically. Well, it's just. I mean, it's just raw ability, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I think it was uh, George Ellick who. Uh, it's another podcaster who I love shout out to the um, not the top not 20, 20. Yeah. podcast um, who spoke. I think it was on the athletic podcast uh, the other day about how Lanzini really, when he's at his best, when he's fit and, and performing in, in the way that he is at the moment, he's arguably the best player outside the top six. Uh, and when we have these conversations about, you know, Rafinha's and, and Zahar and, um, and Jamie Vardy, and we're not really sure where Leicester fall in that conversation at, at the moment. But Lanzini's always been there um, when he's at his very best as one of those players. And and right now, you look at the form that he's producing, and and suddenly you think he's got to be back in the uh, in with a shout of getting in that Argentina squad. It's just it unbelievable. Be, it would be a lovely story for him to, considering where he was and how close he was to playing in a World Cup, is if, if he finds his form and fitness in the year 2022 and ends it with a a call up to the Argentina squad and getting to play in a World Cup with Messi as well, which I'm sure as his friend, but also a legend that is Messi and just getting yeah. to play a World Cup as well, which he fully deserves. And you'd you, be hard pushed to see, he's hard pushed to see what he wouldn't. He's got a technical ability. And this is the thing. He has the ability. Magic. Yeah. yeah he, he, he deserves to be on, on, on the world stage in that way. Cause he's got that level of ability. The only thing that's held him back over this time is, is, is really his fitness because he was slightly eclipsed by uh, Pyatt in, in the season that Pyatt arrived, but he was outstanding in that oh, yeah. season throughout. He was outstanding uh, through repeated relegation battles with us. After that, he was brilliant when combining with Arnautovic Um and then the injury has has obviously really massively affected his career and massively affected his play style. And one of the things we wondered for a long time, and we wondered through a lot of last season why we didn't see very much of him, was would he ever be able to recapture that final third impact? We knew he could pass the ball. We knew he could control games. We saw it against Burnley last season where he came in uh, and played a, a deeper role in that game and really helped us control that game and pick out passes that we where you need that sort of added poise and creativity around the box and you sort of start to look at him and say well yeah maybe he's becoming more of a sort of withdrawn eight who can control games from deeper positions where there's a little bit less pressure on him and he can sort of show his brilliant passing ability and his close control to get himself out of tight positions against presses um and then suddenly out of nowhere when i think none of us thought it was ever going to come back there's this goal scoring tennis back um yeah and, it, and, and, and given that he's developed all of those other sides of his game through coping with injury and coping with a lack of, uh, of pace and coping with a, actually really a lack of confidence in what he was doing in the final third, if he can recapture all of that as well, you've got a really complete special player on your hands. And I, I don't want to go early here because we've had a couple of weeks where he's, where he's scored goals and um, one of them's a penalty and, you know, a, screamers are not repeatable and, and all this stuff. Maybe they are if you're Manuel Lanzini, but um, if he can string together some form over a couple of months now, um, we're in for, for a really exciting time. And it's very, very needed because I mean, it's quite interesting. So far. we've talked about Lanzini, we've talked about Vlasic, players performing in that central position and you in a January window where you expected the whole month is going to be just Lingard's name is going to come up nearly every day in the month. And it's just 
might not need to, I suppose. And it could be counting your chickens before that. But I mean, it's a little bit. It's well, no, it just takes the pressure the type off of it. Player, but it does. There's no, there's no, there's no need for it. It just now, takes the it? pressure off of it. I mean, yeah. I was I, I was speaking before the window and saying that, you know, before we had the centre-back crisis, that actually number 10 was one of the key positions that I'd be looking to recruit. And I remember Cal saying, what on earth are you talking about? We've got Vlasic, we've got Lanzini, we've got Fornells, we've got Ben Rama, they, they can all play 10. We've got, you know, this range of excellent number 10s at the club. And I was just, none of them are scoring goals. <laughs> um, and you need 10s that are scoring goals. And and, and the fact that, that Lanzini's there and producing goals now and, and Vlasic looks like he could really have that in his locker as well and is creating goals through his hold-up play and his protection of the ball and his key passing because his key passing numbers are starting to get into that territory that is really, really exciting. Um, it just takes the pressure off. And yeah, if we get Lingard in, that would be brilliant because it adds another body into that part of the pitch and, and potentially allows us to, to play that sort of much more uh, defined, almost 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1 shape that, where we can be really counter-attacking and a massive threat out of possession, uh, particularly with his, his pressing style as well. Um, but it's just, it's no longer a necessity if if Man United want to draw this out till the last day of the window and then he becomes available, we can we can do that. We can do that. I suppose the, the, the other thing is, if you look at his goals, I mean, as much as the Palace one genius, hard to recreate, what he was there was he was in the position. And yeah, the yeah, goal, yeah. That ball has fallen and he's been in the right position, which is what... That's Same the, in the Leeds game. It's, yeah. it's just in the right position. The yeah. ball falls and he's there. He's, he's, he's in the right area to make an impact in the final third to get on the end of things. And... Um, and Fornell's had that for a little bit and he hasn't had it so much in the last few months. Um, and, and Ben Rama had it at the start of the season and then didn't have it for a long period. Um, and Lanzini seems to be capturing it now. And the big thing, the big benefit for Lanzini is when, when Lanzini captures that, he's a much better player than the other two. Much, much better player in all the other senses than the other two are. It's interesting because the blend is really good there. You've got Lanzini, who's quite a good incremental passer and obviously option four nails came on yesterday and you saw that kind of ability to do have his head up and swivel and quite a direct pass he's quite good doing that under pressure he's he's fantastic at picking out long passes or or medium distance passes just one touch and 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 smashing a pass away across the pitch brilliant at that yeah and then Vlasic was coming alive in that sort of I suppose you could if you were looking for the luxury you go well if we add Lingard as well we've got someone who has that running yeah, and, yeah. Whereas Bowen maybe is the only one in the squad at the moment. Antonio, different type of player, obviously further forward. But it's just like you, well, like you're saying, it's such a such a luxury to have um, such a variance of options in, in one position and that, that allow us to play so so many different ways. And actually, one of the big things I should probably comment on on Lanzini before we we move on is one of the things we've been talking about and one of the things we talked about a lot in the in the last podcast was the blend of the midfield and, and Rice and Suchek and, and how things work in that area. And if there, if there is one player that's got a profile that allows both of those players to exchange when they go forward, it's Lanzini because he's got the footballing intelligence yeah. um, to be able to cover when, when people go forward and to, and to not need such a structured and defined system in that one goes and one doesn't. Um, and I, you know, I can stay up or, or cover when I see Suchek going. He, he's very, very good at just dropping a couple of yards in, and, and, and being that protecting presence when um, when Rice and Suchek go go forward themselves. Um, so he just allows that that balance to function a little bit better than it has been doing for for the last couple of months. If we talk all those positives, and uh, we talk about a stability being brought by a player, I think we we have to talk about an instability being brought by another player. And we've won that game. We were 3-0 up for a long time against Palace. But the two goals, the big chance at the end, and it's, I'm afraid to say again, it's Issa. Um, and we, Shame you, Cal's not here, so you can't direct this question at him. No, I can't direct this question at him. And I would have, Cal. I really would have come to you. Um, he's decision-making abysmal for the two goals on different ways abysmal for letting the guy go on the first goal for not trying to make a header if for not changing his position so that he could have made a better header if he'd done so the second goal the tackle for the free kick is outrageous we've we spent i mean we're late to recording the podcast because we spent so long watching those goals again in slow motion and watching things diop just hasn't done the second goal just could have moved in and stopped the free kick going where it was going. Hasn't bothered, doesn't want to. And then the chance at the end. Has Mateta 
decides the ball where the ball is in the air, doesn't want Mateta anymore. Ball's floating in the air, doesn't want to attack the ball either, just goes backwards and allows a chance. You you shared an image with me of where he percentile wise at the moment of defenders in is it world or Europe? Europe top five leagues, top five leagues of Europe, and he's shockingly bad in every, nearly every aspect, isn't he? He comes out in nearly the bottom ten percent in nearly every every area of his game. Yeah, which I mean, I've broken. We, we were going to do a bit with breaking down the goals, but a bit, but to some extent. Watch it yourself. If you watch those YouTube highlights, <laughs> listen to what I've just said. And what I've just said is basically what Jack taught me. So if I can learn it from Jack, you can learn it from me. Yeah, this is what I, I mean. Oh, you've, nicked, you've, nicked, you've nicked what I was going to say, but this, is, this one is ex- exceptionally simple to break down. And I was going to say just that. Stick the Sky Sports highlights on. It's that easy. Skip to about 2.20 when you're at the last bit of the game. Put it on 0.5 speed and watch a series of insane mistakes <laughs> being made by one centre-back. <laughs> and if you also want to watch what the other centre-back is doing, he is... <laughs> in, in, in books, in films, you often have the person who represents the audience. Uh, Craig Dawson is in all of us as he turns after each goal. And that chance at the end just looks at ECD up with a, an anger and shock <laughs> on, his, on his expression and in his body language. Um, confusion the, is the real key. Confusion is. It is a bit like kind of, you're sure, mate? Because I don't <laughs> think you are. But, um, I mean, it's great news that Zuma might be back before the end of the month, early next month. I kind of hope it's early next month so we don't rush it because yeah. if we rush that at the end of the window, suddenly it could be a real drama. Yeah. Uh, but the worry is, of course, that at the moment, we've had a few reports now. Craig Dawson playing with an injury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we cannot. I, 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 we we cannot progress through the rest of the season with with three centre backs fit. One of them just coming back from injury, and one of them carrying an injury. It's and one of them just being terrible at the moment. One of them. One of them carrying the curse of being steel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I just think that's mad. So I do think we need to recruit a left centre back. And I think really this, it would put us in a strong position to be able to sell Diop on in the summer, where he's still got some kind of resale value left. So I, and I think that would be a good thing for us. Anyway, um, it must be said. Isa could be a great centre-back in the future. He needs some composure. He needs to find that confidence in his own game um, to be able to, to make more proactive and sensible decisions. Um, but here, again, he's blighted by that kind of Yannick Balassi-styled, I don't know what I'm doing, um, sort of mental approach to, yeah. to challenging situations. And, and uh, you touched on it briefly, but but the, the best way to summarise Issa Diop as a footballer and definitely as a player for us over the last two years, really, and perhaps even longer, um, is the final chance against um, Palace, the, the chance that Mateta has with the overhead kick, which Dawson has been blamed for by almost everyone. Everyone on, on Twitter was slating Dawson over this. I've read articles that were saying, what's Dawson doing allowing him ha- to have the time to set that up? And if you watch it at 0.5 times speed, you will see Diop has both hands on Mateta. And then as soon as the ball is played towards the box, he takes both hands off Mateta and takes about three steps backwards with his hands in the air going, I don't want none of that. <laughs> And that's the thing. You can you can forgive him maybe letting Dawson. You know the players running across Dawson. You have him, but he has to do something himself. It doesn't. It's the game at that point isn't over for him just because the man's gone. And I mean, I, I don't want to dwell on it too long because I feel we can be harsh and we have touched on Diop before, which is kind of why I cut through it quite quickly. But and I think just go watch it. 0.5 speed yourself, and if if you look at those and think. Any defence you have for him will be light, is what I suggest. You will have a defence that is, you know, you're being polite at the very least. I think that's the problem here. Is he, I mean, he did it in the Leeds game. There was uh, that pass to, to Rice where he left a short and he yeah, caused yeah, an attack yeah. that was a dangerous attack. He just keeps making big mistakes. Dawson is by no means perfect. I think you were you were saying that there, there's, there's errors leading to shots at the, yeah, in both yeah. of their games. This is that uh, we've gone from a situation where there might have been one or two errors leading to shots in games from these two to, to now you're getting to the point where it's sort of three errors each leading to shots in games. And that is completely unsustainable. If you come up against much more prolific attacks, Palace should have scored three goals against us in the first half. Should have, the halftime score should have been three all. Um, so on another day, we, we, we might not have been... <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You know, everyone can enjoy off, Chris's off record, air of vindication here. Off record, because... I said on another day we might not be winning that. Jack was livid with me at the time during the game. Seemed quite quite irate to argue with me. And I just said, just on another day. That's all I'm saying. And so it's just quite nice to to, to not be the idiot for once. Maybe I don't know. No, you you were spot on. You were spot on. But I was enjoying taking my nephew to his first away London match. So stop you know, enjoying yeah. things. That's what i'm here to tell you <laughs> that's what i'm here to say um okay i suppose the other option the other not option the other part of that game was the interesting bit with johnson and masuaku we'll do this very quickly um and um i got i got slaughtered for this the other day but the key thing to understand here is johnson was very good going forward um but was getting um uh, uh, he was struggling against jordan i jordan i was was running the game from a palace perspective um, there were two things going on. Jordan I was very successfully carrying the ball up the pitch, um, unopposed, getting far too much yardage from where he was receiving the ball. And Edward was finding the pocket between Soufal and Suchek far too easily. There were two things going on that were causing us really big problems. Um, and the one that we addressed was a halftime switch to bring Masuaku on for Johnson. And I know most people are focused on the last 15 minutes of the game and where Masuaku does get slaughtered by um, Elise who is a fantastic player. And if you watch their game against uh, Millwall, you, you, you will have seen just how talented this guy is. And I think, you know, put any left back up against him at the moment in the form he's in, I think anyone would struggle. Uh, but Masuaku actually restabilizes the game really well prior to, to Elise coming on, because one of the things that we really needed to do was be much more aggressive um, against IU. And he does that. And that stops Palace from having the kind of ball carrying that they were getting in the first half. So they were struggling to get to the box as regularly as they were, um, which was very important for us establishing the kind of control that we had for the first 25 to 30 minutes of that second half. When Elise comes on, Masawaku being not the most intelligent footballer in the universe, tries to do exactly the same thing against a player who's got much better close control. So against Jordan Ayew, Jordan Ayew's speed of thought may not be in the position where he's able to react as quickly when you're rushing up and pressing high and Masuaki was getting all of these interceptions and his tackling was perfect. Elisa, however, is just going to flick the ball past you. Um, and that that is what then happened in the last 10 minutes of the game. And that is one of the things that's really problematic about Masuaku. Is he doesn't quite have the adaptability to be able to say, OK, I've tried that once against this guy. It's not working. I should probably adapt the way I'm defending. He'll just try and do the same thing over and over again. Where he's, it's interesting enough, if we'd started the game with Masuaku and then changed to Johnson when Elise come on, you'd feel like the result would have been much better. Yes, Johnson, precisely Johnson, that. He is quite cautious and quite an intelligent defender for yeah. the most part and also cutting in inside wouldn't have bothered it if we'd had rolling subs yeah we could have, have brought johnson to... back <laughs> yeah. on yeah. it would have been great right there well that's those two games i mean i'm going to ask you we could talk about your articles again and talk about players you've got left to discuss i know you quite like you'd like to keep it quiet i know you had your guessing games on yeah, twitter yeah, i yeah, i had yeah. kemp in my head and i kept looking at those replies and no one's no one's guessing kemp and i thought i can't i talked to you too too much it's not fair that would be cheating yeah um so i, I don't know if you'd have this there's a name here that I, I i know i can get a reaction with and i don't know if you'll have discussed in your articles but i want to bring up because he has been linked to us recently sure, it's sure. a dharma traore <laughs> Oh God, Adama. Okay, that's an interesting one. I wasn't and expecting I just, you to throw that. Throw no, him and I, because I, I, I know that I'm, I'm one of. There is a section of us, a few people who actually. I, there's that part of me that thinks generally my argument is pace doesn't lose value, and he's probably not going to lose value, so he might be worth the risk. Um, hmm. And actually, his shot creation levels not so bad. Numbers wise, his goals and assists appalling. Is the no he creates chances you're absolutely right he creates chances with 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 incredible regularity um he he, like you said though he doesn't score or create any actual goals um which i would say is quite a big problem for a forward it's it's interesting statistically wise why what when you look at someone who's creating shots and creating chances but not getting assists at what point do you blame a striker other than eye test, obviously. And what point do you start to think that's a problem? He's obviously not chase- creating... I think the point at which you start to blame the player themselves is when they've done it for six years or something like that. Uh, which it's is just, the case yeah, with the Dharma no, Traore. Yeah, I, just, I find it interesting because if you're creating those chances and your numbers are quite good, why aren't you getting those assists? Because is he's it... clearly not creating high quality chances. So he comes up 
uh, very high on, on metrics for volume of chances created, volume of shots created, but he comes up very low on metrics for volume of good chances created for actual goals, which would be coming from good chances that he's creating. He's not doing that. You look at his crossing. His crossing is patchy at best. Sometimes you get these wonderful deliveries and sometimes you get him you know, smashing it into row Z when he's trying to cross. Um, so for me, I understand why people... I mean, God, like, let's get on board. The most chaotic evil front two... <laughs> in world football i'm so for that you know let's play 4-4-2 and have adama Traore and michael antonio up front you know defenders would just start running away when as soon as we got the ball in the fence it would just be like screaming running towards their own keeper uh because of the pace in behind but uh in practice really as much as much fun as that sounds um that level of chaos um I'm not entirely sure who's going to be sticking the ball in the back of the net or who's going to be making the chances for who. Um, not worth it at 20 million as a risk then. It's a huge risk given the the, the fee. And, and actually, I think Adama's future might be might be more in what Spurs, the suggestion of him going to Spurs and playing as a wing back, that might might be more where Adama finds his home, where he can really, I mean, similarly to how Conte used Victor Moses, um, as someone who struggled to retain that final third impact consistently, but had the pace and dribbling ability to to cause problems from a wide area where there would constantly be overloads because of the system. I think that's probably where Adama will end up finding um, his sort of position eventually. And uh, before we go, one more on your players. Who, If you were to pick one of your 31, who you'd like the most? Oh, God. Well, you, you haven't thrown that, that at me. Yeah, I know. I've thrown that at you because... I don't have to be kind as a host. I just have to ask some questions. I mean, I get to Well, I'm not going to pick someone who's gone already. I have to pick someone who... Sorry, no, I'm not going to pick someone who's coming because I don't want to ruin it. I'm going to pick someone who's who's gone already. Of the 10. Yeah, of the 10 we've done so far, it's a a toss-up for me between Adam Klozek and and Arthur Cabral. And I think Adam Klozek just about wins it for me. Um, I know he's someone that a lot of people think is just being linked because he's a Czech youngster and all these Czech links and so on and so forth. But he's he's a great player with a great set of attributes for his his age. Um, His physical build really excites me. Um, And I think his development over the last... 12 months or so well, less than that over the last eight months or so post injury uh, where we've seen a drop off in, in goals and assists, but we've seen this real development as a ball carrying threat, someone who can spin in the in central areas, similar to Nikola Vlasic um, and use his body really effectively against center backs that, that, you know, two years ago would have been much, much, much bigger than him. He's, he's adapted to his, his, his change and build really, really well. And I think if he can develop those qualities for the rest of this season uh, and come out of this season as a really well-rounded ball carrier, um, throw him back in as a striker in two years' time with all of those abilities that he's developed playing deeper, you have a really exciting, complete centre-forward. Nice to add a check to uh, the vampire and Mr. Potato Head. And, <laughs> and that, is a, that is a joke about nicknames that I find really funny that I keep seeing West Ham people mention. Um, well, before we go, or before I go, you want to talk about AFCON because you have been watching AFCON. And I, by all means, go ahead. Chris has got five aside, haven't you? So I'm going to do this yeah. very, very quickly. But... Um, the opening game of AFCON, AFCON's being held um, in Cameroon this year. And for anyone that's not watched so far, I really recommend watching. It's a great tournament. It's been fun so far. Some of the games today haven't been um, brilliant, but the opening game was a great um, great advert for the tournament and for African football more broadly. But um, <laughs> the backstory to that to that game was fantastic in, in that... Um, Obviously, you have to do the round of COVID testing uh, before the game starts. And um, Burkina Faso's COVID tests uh, before the opening match um, came back quite a lot of them positive. And a lot of the players that came back positive were key players and also the coach. Um, And there were these murmurings in the Burkina Faso um, squad that there was something fishy going on. Um, with the COVID tests, there was something not quite right. So then they appealed um, to CAF and said that um, they had questions over whether the COVID tests had been falsified. 
and they gave the time that the doctors had arrived to do the COVID test and CAF responded saying that they hadn't actually sent CAF doctors to do the COVID test at that time. So the Burkinabe squad have suggested <laughs> that there's been a conspiracy by the Cameroonian FA <laughs> to send fake doctors to return false positive COVID tests to get all of Burkina Faso's who are the main competition for Cameroon in their group um, to stop their key players from being able to play in the opening game. So with all this very entertaining off-field um, stuff as the backdrop for the game, um, when the game began, there was a, you know, some excitement for what, what could ensue, whether it would be quite a heated match. And within 30 seconds, we got our answer because straight <laughs> from kickoff, the ball went forward for Cameroon. And uh, one of the Burkinabe centre-backs just flew into one of the most glorious slide challenges you'll ever see. If you haven't seen it yet, just is, Google. Is this the video you sent me yesterday where the guy's leg is up diagonally <laughs> for the whole tackle before he gets to the man? As if he's going, I'm, I'm in... I'm going to kick you and it's your job to get out of the way, mate. It's borderline attempted murder, I think. (laughs) (laughs) There's absolutely no need for it whatsoever. His foot is about as high as it could possibly be from a sliding position. Um, And just his body position is glorious. You'll find pictures on Twitter. He's got one arm all the way out on the ground. He's got the other arm splayed out 90 degrees in the other direction. One leg about as high as it could get in the air and the other one bent 90 degrees. So he looks like he's performing some some wonderful yoga really at high speed and goes flying into the Cameroonian forward Um, and that set the tone really from then on I'm not sure if it was football or UFC but whatever it was it was very entertaining that's all that matters you've got to get viewers on I mean a a round of three one nils so far today but yeah it's a fascinating tournament and it's it's fresh it's proper tournament football as well I mean it's a shame really that We've you've got to pay for it on Sky over here, and they've made very minimal effort, as far as I can tell. One commentator, very minimal the effort, feed yeah. that you'd get from anyone, it's a, you can get it for free on YouTube in other countries. Use the same yeah. feed. It's a shame that they've beat someone like BBC to it because you feel BBC would have put proper effort, proper yeah. effort in. I think but we'll see. Still, I think we'll see more effort once we get to the knockouts. I think hopefully we'll see a little bit better um, coverage then, and, and definitely pick up the tournament then when we get to the knockouts. Some of the tack on show is brilliant. Some of the players are just wonderfully skillful on the ball. So it's, it, they're they're exciting games to watch nonetheless. And, and and towards the end of the tournament, we'll start to see some real titans of African football going against each other. Those kind of Ivory Coast versus Ghana, Senegal versus. I think even, you know, there are some teams that could go really far like Mali or Guinea this year that are really exciting to watch. So there'll be some really, really entertaining games towards the end of the tournament for sure. Hopefully just for the laugh, Egypt go really far and Mo Salah has to stay out there a long time just to annoy Liverpool fans. It's what we're all, we're all in for that as well. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. we are. Yeah. Um, and on the note of let's see if we can annoy Liverpool fans, I think we'll end, which uh, means for us, We'll see you next week, hopefully back with Callum. We should hope that he's recovered and he's um, feeling Yeah, better. he should be returning a negative test by then and be back in training by... Uh... <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Otherwise, we'll have to call someone up or maybe we'll, we'll sign a player from abroad or loan someone from PSG. I don't know. That's the threat we'll use anyway. Uh, but until then, thank you Roger very much. Roger the relegator on an emergency loan. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd, I'd kill for Roger on the pod. Um, <laughs> there's the dream. Get Roger on the pod. Right. But until then, thank you and good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> I'm big knees up Mother Brown man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on, you irons.